Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. Joining me today is Sasha Stone. That's the female Sasha Stone. S-A-S-H-A Stone. Not the male Sasha Stone. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Sasha Stone started the website Awards Daily, and she now has a substack and a podcast that goes along with the substack. I think she actually has a few podcasts Sasha, why don't you just tell everybody what I'm missing there? Um, well, I, you know, I, um, I've been online a long time, pretty much half of my life. I got online in 1994 when I dropped out of film school mm. and life kind of fell apart after I, 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 you know, did the dumbest thing anybody could ever do and just like went with some guy whose wife had left him and blah, blah, blah. So for a this- second, I thought you were describing going to film school. I know. Well, <laughs> I got to feel, you know, it's, it was such a lifelong dream. I was like the first person to graduate college in my family. I was like 29 when I finally graduated because I'd gone to so many different city colleges. And I was like, I'm going to be like Catherine Bigelow. I'm going to make movies. I'm going to go to Columbia. And the problem was once I got there, I was so shy that like I couldn't do it. I couldn't 
network with other people. I couldn't ask them to like carry my lights or be in my movie or anything. So I was bad for that. It wasn't the right fit for me. Like I wanted to do it, but I didn't right have the tools. Um, so I came back after that. I, I dropped out and run off, have this passionate relationship with this guy. Of course, it totally blew up in my face. It fell completely apart. And uh, I just thought, you know what? I have failed at this life situation. Like there's just <laughs> no, like I have screwed this up so badly. Um, and because I, I was only in Columbia for a semester, like that's mm-hmm. how much of a. So I found the internet at that point in time. I really couldn't do much of anything else except get online. I was just so broken as a person. And um, and I, you know, I found this news group that talked about movies and. I did that for a few years. It was like my school and how to become a blogger and a writer and an online person. And I did that for quite a few years. And then in 1999, I launched my website. And um, and I've done that for, you know, 20 something years. I raised a daughter in the meantime. I ended up meeting a guy that I met online in Italy way back before people like met online. And she's now pioneer. I was a pioneer and she's now, uh, you know, living in Brooklyn with her boyfriend, (laughs) totally grown up. So life goes on, you know, Uh, and when people thought I was such a freak back then for being on the Internet and meeting people and stuff now, of course, everybody does it. Um, So I didn't really get to politics until much later, but Mm. uh, a lot of the stuff I did online was I'm, I'm always been just sort of a curious person anyway. And. My problem right now is that I just really can't function in a world where there are things I'm not allowed to say and things I'm not allowed to think. And um, there you go. And you know what I mean? So I sort of Absolutely. broke away from my tribe, as it were. And even though it's scary every single day, like you wouldn't think it was scary, but it is scary for me in my position to be saying the things that I say and, and uh, going down like today, writing about you know, January 6th is a very hot uh, topic on, obviously, needless to say. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I can't make my brain do anything else. You know what I mean? It just, it I'm doesn't. <laughs> right there with you. Yeah. I mean, I lived in Los Angeles for 18 and a half years and was prominent in the Hollywood nightlife scene and did celebrity relations. And I began, yeah, I've always been very, in tune with politics. I've followed it very closely for probably at least two decades now. And my entire world politically began switching in maybe 2015 or so. Mm. Really had a moment when Trump beat Hillary. When that was announced, I was like, wow, I've been wrong about a lot of things. I better figure this out. And that process continued until 2020 when COVID just turned the entire chessboard over And it's been no looking back since then. But I want to get into kind of that middle section with you. But first, I want to know how life in L.A. is right now, because for me, it got. I don't want to go so far as to say threatening, but there were elements of it at that point that were threatening. It's, you know, the angry stares from maskies in the grocery store and. All the angry, you know, because I was never going to be silent. And all of the people that I thought were my friends for a very long time were suddenly very mad at me and trying to cancel me and saying that my career was going to be over and all these other things. And eventually I just realized that I was paying 
for, I was paying $3,000 a month for an apartment I could barely leave with nowhere really to go. And a whole lot of people around seemed like they wanted to kill me. So <laughs> I got out while the getting was good. But let's start here. Did you come to the Democratic leftist progressive side of things kind of by default or do you feel that you were raised into it how did you get there to start well i don't want to sit here and talk about myself forever so i really sure. do want to hear your story but let me just say that um well, I, hey, uh, i'm interviewing you right okay, now. okay all right all right no that's good that's good I'll, I'll talk okay so i i have i have to say that i've had the strangest experience of my life in 2020. I've never gone through anything like that before. I pretty much thought that my worldview was set and I had certainty about a lot of things that I believed and people I believed in. I mean, I was as much of a blue check. I would have been one of those people that gave you that dirty look in the market. Like I was mm -hmm. such a devoted, a very religious Democrat. Like I was even before it really, for me, it ratcheted up. It's sort of, I made a name for myself online in 2016 being a pro Hillary person. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of forced to admit. I but, voted uh, for Hillary in 2016. I've told my audience that many times. Yeah, no, I, I did. And I, not only that, but um, I, I was a, one of the earliest supporters of Joe Biden and I, I made videos for him and I was, you know, really well known by like very prominent blue checks on Twitter. But um, the, and and so it is very strange to be in this situation where I feel so disconnected from my tribe, from my like a, my best friend who I've known since we were one. We were talking yesterday and we managed to get through it without hanging up on each other. Um, but it was a hard conversation to have because there's just places you can't go with people on the left because they are so hysterical. Mm -hmm. I don't word to use but you can't have a rational conversation with them about things they just have this look of fear in their eyes and they just become sort of paralyzed if they think you're one of them you're one of the bad yeah. people you know? well this is part of why i want to see how it is that you came to that political position in the first place and that's something i think about with myself it is very very hard to talk about anything with them these days but part of the problem with that is that they don't actually know anything. They know what they're supposed to say. They know what everybody knows and everybody accepts as true without any support. They know how to lead their way through a conversation by saying only those things. But when they run out of those things, there's nothing else underneath that. Like none of it is a fully formed idea that they have and that they're willing to argue for. They're really only arguing that their side is right. And, you know, I believe that I had a pretty good understanding about what what I call the central narrative is, like what you're allowed to say within the bubble that the mainstream and whatever's, you know, ancillary to the mainstream allows to be said. All of that information in there, you're allowed to talk about it. And within that, you're only allowed to talk about it in certain ways. But everything outside of there has to be ignored. And so as someone who was raised, you know, watching sports and listening to popular music and taking in political news from the mainstream media, I thought that was kind of all that was out there or at least all I needed to pay attention to. Like if it was important, the TV would tell me the, all the news sites are saying it. So it must be true. That was my mindset. And so 
the upbringing I had, the education I had, all of that led me into kind of the liberal mindset. And I just kind of stayed there by default. Like, I think I was basically a Democrat by default. It was my a factor of my cultural understanding and my education and my upbringing. And I was more prone to defending that in what it was within the context of the central narrative. And I never really cared to move outside of, of that and to try to figure out why it was that anyone could possibly disagree with this. And so I'm yeah. wondering if like, that's kind of how you came to all of this too. Well, I realized yesterday, well, there's two things that I think of when I think of right now. I think of the Woody Allen movie Sleeper. I don't know if you've seen that in a while. but Not sure, I have seen that one. <laughs> you should watch it because it is so, I mean, other than the fact that the res, the underground and the resistance in that movie are like socialists, they're actually Marxist. Other than mm. that, it's very like, you know, Diane Keaton, she lives in this, you know, kind of sophisticated world and she has her little orb and she's totally cut off from the reality of of everything that's happening in the world outside of her. And she's completely hypnotized. Like it's very dystopian, very 1984. But I just was was struck by that because I've known that movie my whole life, but it wasn't until recently that I watched it and said, that's what we're living right there in that movie. But I think that for us, you know, I think we grew up into establishment, cons I did anyway, con establishment conservatism mm. versus counterculture left, right? So we were growing up at a time when when the conservatives had most of the power, right? It was all Ronald Reagan in the 80s. It was all Ronald Reagan. And then, um, you know, moving into the Bush era and then to the Obama era, you could feel it shifting um, away from kind of the Mondale left into this new progressive left, which at the time felt really good. It felt really right. It felt like it was, you know, it was it was breaking free from the Reagan kind of stodgy conservatism and moving towards something that felt fresh and new. And we were a part of something, you know, part mm -hmm. of changing the world. And, and it, it did feel like it, it was the more honest path, but at some point that shifted and they became that power that the conservatives used to be. They, the Democrats now are that, in my opinion, they're that mm -hmm. sort of, establishment oppressive and it's even worse because they're the ones in control of culture at yeah. least with the conservatives we had this with the counterculture we had great movies and great books and, and rock and roll and all that it was all on the other side but now it's fused into this establishment and and they're policing it right and, and so that to me is a whole different um kind of worldview and i i didn't it didn't really occur to me until 2020, until the protests, that any of this was happening. Like I had been drifting away from the Democrats when I saw what they did to Al Franken and um, heading into the election. I thought, you know, these guys are never going to be able to beat Trump, that they just mm -hmm. don't know what they're doing. And so I had drifted over to the never Trump Republicans and I was listening to them and they were kind of opening my mind to a few things. And I was like, hmm, that's interesting. I never really thought of it that way before. Like I knew nothing about conservatives. I knew nothing right. about what thought, what they wanted, what they cared about. I only knew my whole 80s vibe, which is they're uncool, you know, and, and we just all thought that they were unhip and bad people. We didn't right. really think about that life from their point of view. I certainly had no clue. Um, but when I saw the protests happening um, on the street and I saw the way the media covered them up and I saw the way the never Trumpers wouldn't talk about it either and how everybody was just being kind of quiet. And I was thinking, what's that about? You know, they're not talking about the truth. You know, they're not saying what's really happening. 
And it really just, for me, that's the, was the beginning of it. And so I realized at some point that my makeup as a human being, my, my probably too much empathy that I have and sensitivity that I have meant that I was, you know, and I am a loner. I live my life pretty much um, isolated and alone anyway. I always have, but COVID just made it much, much worse. And, um, and I would go online for some companionship and some people to talk to. And I just, I just kept seeing this hatred coming mm. from the, this like vicious dehumanizing and, and all aimed at Trump and his supporters in ways that like I couldn't really handle. And so that was when I moved over to the, I didn't, I'm not saying I became a Trump supporter. I'm just saying I started watching his rallies. Sure. I started to get to know all the people in Trump world. And, you know, I found in his rallies at a really dark time in my life in 2020, when we were really bad with COVID and everything was just going so, so wrong. Um, you know, look, people are never going to take my word for it, but his, his rallies were, were fun. Like they were pockets of fun. There were people. I'll having take your word fun. for it. Yeah. I'm amazed. Uh, <laughs> this is one of those examples of people on the left. They would say that's not true because they've never watched a Trump rally. They've exactly. certainly never attended one. They'll get little clips here and there on the news and they will accept the newsman's contextualization of whatever it is they're watching. And that will be the truth for them. And they'll believe that they observed it themselves. No, I know. And I, I had that conversation with my friend and she was so mad at me because she kept saying, um, you know, and trying to insult my intelligence because she thought I was insulting her intelligence. I was trying to tell her, I said, look, you don't know this world. You don't mm -hmm. know them, you know life from their perspective. And so I can't explain it to you because like, for instance, she thinks that um, Steve Bannon, and this is what I used to think, too. She thinks that yeah. Steve Bannon is a um, like a sort of a Hitler-esque fascist who, um, you know, who who wants to, you know, bring the United States back to segregation and limit voting and all that. Like, they really believe this stuff. And it when I have incredible. to tell I just have to say, that's not what he's trying to do. Like this Steve is Bannon like, is is going to be a hero of this age, I believe. And he's just leading a populist movement. So people retake the power that was given to them in the nation's founding. That is exactly what he's trying to do and nothing more. The really surprising thing about him, and, and listen, you cannot tell this to people. Their belief system is so ingrained. I always say to her, listen to his, like, as I listen to Steve Bannon's podcast probably every day. Yeah. Um, and I know who he is because he captured my attention. Like, I I really do think that I know, like, everything about politics and elections, and just in terms of strategy and stuff. Because that's mm -hmm. what I do Oscar. When I cover the Oscars, I just look at, like, what's going to win, what, you know, movie is positioned, who, you know, what are the narratives that are going to form during the season. And I just trained that onto politics. And so, you know, I look at patterns of history. I look at um, previous elections and all that. Um, and one of the things I was doing I had predicted Trump would win in 2016. I actually won $100 betting that he would win. Nice one. Yeah, because but I was doing it on history. I wasn't doing it on what turned out to be their strategy, which um, was a very clever strategy to use Facebook to suppress the vote in swing states just enough that that he could win. He didn't have to gain more votes. He just well, had to keep 
people from voting for her. I think we would have different explanations of how Trump won in 2016, but yeah, go on. Everybody has their own, and that's my own pers personal theory. And so at that time, I hadn't known who Steve Bannon was, and I was like, what? And I, like, that was something that I did not factor in. I had absolutely no clue it was happening. And, you know, Steve Bannon, I found this old Tea Party video of his where he lays out that strategy, like way back in 2010 or something like that. And um, and so I became sort of obsessed with Steve Bannon. Like I watched all his movies and I, I wrote this stupid medium piece, which is still up about how he's a fascist and how he's going to really should delete that by now. But um, but but in my research for that piece. I went looking for all these videos because I thought, you know, I'm going to find all these videos of him saying these terrible things and I'm going to put and I couldn't find any proof of this accusation against wow. him. And in fact, I found the opposite. Like when I saw him debate David Frum on this, um, they they both debated on this, this um, they, they I forget what the subject was. Maybe it was fashion. No, it was um, populism. Um, and. You know, David Frum thought he was so smart because he was getting all the audience. Um, but but Steve Bannon was making some good points. But more than that, he was making fun of himself and he was laughing at himself. And that's the side of him you don't see. And it's the side of Trump that people don't see is, mm -hmm. is how much he's fun of himself. And that watching Steve Bannon do that right there was enough for me to say, you know what? You don't know this person. You know, you don't know him. So I have been on a Steve Bannon. And listen. I've listened to his show for over a year. And if there was racism, fascism on that show, I would have heard it, you know, yeah, but that's course. not what he's doing. So, yeah, but you, can't and you can't tell them. And it doesn't matter because they're not going to check it out for themselves anyway. They're disincentivized from doing that. But Bannon is just about as straight a shooter in the way he talks about politics as anyone certainly on television or in the podcast world. I mean, I don't agree with absolutely everything he says, but I think that he is the philosophical leader of this movement. And it is the maybe the biggest movement the country has ever seen. It's certainly not going anywhere. It's still building. And Steve Bannon has, I think, you know, inspired people to retake their own personal power back. And I love him for that. I think he's fantastic. I like um, Kia's hub, the central hub. And I tried I tried to tell, I mean, I, I probably should never have said it, but anywhere I could find to tell people, I was like, if you want to know what the Trump movement is, if you want to know what Mer America first and MAGA and all that, you have to listen to Steve Bannon because he's the central um, hub of all of that. And I, I worry, it might sound paranoid, but I just, when he was uh, arrested, I just thought they're trying to take him out. You know, they're yeah, going to try to take him out. Because he's too powerful now, you know? Right. That's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. I often say on the podcast, like, if this was happening in a different country, right? If this was in uh, Central America or Southeast Asia or uh, part of Africa or something, we would call it for what it is immediately, right? That is a banana republic under an illegitimate dictatorial leader. And it happens in America and everybody denies it, but all of the signs are there. And the truth is when you go back, they've been there for quite a long time. We can see the makings of it in Obama's presidency. You can trace it back further through the George W. Bush and Clinton eras. You know, it was mm -hmm. briefly upset when Reagan was in office, but before that you can 
wind it all the way back to JFK and then all the way back to World War II. And you can see that this element has been growing and festering and infiltrating Amer in American institutions for decades and decades. And I think all of that is now coming to the surface and people are becoming aware of it, which is fantastic. For me, I take that process that you applied with Steve Bannon, like actually see what this thing is, right? Let's get to the bottom of this thing. Let's see how it's described. Because one of the key lessons to me in that period leading up to Donald Trump's election in 2016, and then you know the volume got turned up to 12 in the COVID era, was that the people giving us all of this information have no hesitation whatsoever to lie directly to us in order to influence our behavior. And in some sense, we kind of already know that about the media. We have this understanding that we shouldn't believe what the television tells us. And we think, well, once I know that I can't believe everything the television tells us, once that's in the back of my mind, then I'm surely not going to do it. And then you find you continue to watch MSNBC or CNN or even Fox News and you believe everything the television says and everything is perceived that way. You know, Republicans are racist because mm -hmm. the South was racist in the Civil War and now the red states are in the South. And so therefore Republicans are racist. Like it doesn't make any sense. There's nothing real beneath it. But it's these these narratives that just get drilled into our heads over the course of years, over the course of decades, over the course of generations. And we just accept all of these things as true without ever actually exploring them. It turns out as soon as you start peeling back those layers and actually exploring what's there, you find out you've been misled about the entire thing. And after a few of those, you're like, oh, wait, I've been misled about all of this. And that's the process I went through. That's the process a lot of people have gone through. I think it's. I mean, I don't want to speak for you, but it sounds like you're dealing with that. Kind of. What was your catalyst that that did it for you? Like, at what what was the thing that you finally just? I know you said that it was the the election. The um, the, tr the Trump election was the beginning of that. But so you know, with my life, I was I was out in Hollywood four to seven nights a week for 15 years. Every week, 15 years. And when you do that, you have a lot of late nights. You're often kind of tired during the day. I'm trying to, you know, go about my normal life stuff before I have to go back to work at night. And I was following along with things pretty well, but never had the time or attention to like really go deep. As soon as COVID happens, as soon as that lockdown happens, now I have all the time in the world. And, mm. you know, I had the TV on during the day. CNN would be there with the death statistics just yeah. ticking up every day and the fear just being projected all the time. And I was in the same room and I had Twitter open and I was following all of these data analysts and watching them analyze the actual COVID data. And what I was seeing bared no resemblance to what I was seeing and hearing on the television each day. And it occurred to me very early on that the goal of this whole thing was clearly not to save the most lives, because if we were concerned about saving lives, we would be approaching the entire thing much differently. And so once that stuff really started to settle in, I was just like, okay, none of this is true. I don't know if you remember this, Gavin Newsom, he used to do his daily press conferences at noon. And in one of them, I think it was April 22nd, 2020. I remember this date for this reason. 
but he noted that they had discovered a COVID case that had been around actually three weeks before the earliest one, right? So we had had COVID in our midst for an extra three weeks. And at that point that had pushed it back into like late November to middle November. There were reports out of China that stuff may have been happening in October, maybe even September. And if it was in California, if it was in the United States in late November or mid November, then we had already gone three and a half to four and a half months with COVID in the country and no one said or did anything, right? Mm -hmm. We still went to concerts and sporting events. We still went to restaurants and clubs and bars. Everybody lived as normal. And now all of a sudden we've named this thing. We've announced it. We're putting these big numbers up about how it's spreading. And so now everybody has to be afraid. We need to use masks that even the people telling us to use masks have admitted don't work. And we have to do all this stuff, even though this virus was around for three and a half or four and a half months. It has to be, it has to be that the virus is not that transmissible or it's not that deadly. You got to choose one and it might be neither, but you have to choose one and you got to somehow make it make sense that if we've had this virus around for this long without doing anything and people weren't dropping dead on the streets, why are we doing all this stuff that we know for sure is going to destroy society? You know, millions of people just being put out of work. The alcohol abuse, the drug abuse, uh, domestic abuse, child abuse, depression, anxiety, loneliness, all of it was skyrocketing. And it had to. That was obvious from the beginning. There was no way that wasn't going to happen with these lockdown policies. Lockdown policies had never been implemented anywhere. All of this stuff said to me very clearly, this is not about saving lives. And it became very apparent that that was true. And then, as you say, like once the Black Lives Matter stuff started, that was that was the point at which I realized that my peers didn't actually care about any of the stuff I that know. I thought we all cared about. Same. That was my red pill moment right there. That was when I the trance was broken for me because I did the same thing as you. But I was like, what is going on? Didn't we just have like a, we had my Facebook friends were so freaked out about. First of all, when COVID first came out, the first thing the CDC said was. Masks don't work. They create a false sense of security. Right. And you keep touching your face. You're going to get COVID. And then somehow, like so much of the confusion, it, and no, it was because of the protest, because they had to justify the pivot to the protest. So then it became yeah. about masks because it was like it was OK if they're outside because they're all wearing masks. You know, they're they're mm -hmm. outside wearing masks. So that's how we fit it in. So now it's the masks, you know, like, and it never was <laughs> like, it's yeah. so strange. And we were, we were in these hazmat suits prior to, <laughs> and we were sewing masks and we were freaked out and we were standing like seven feet, you know, you'd walk into the market and people would be like 20 feet away from you and everything. And then, and then the protest, all of a sudden, this is May, right. Yeah. Of 2020, the largest protest in American history all of a sudden in the middle of this pandemic and no one was saying anything yeah. about it. So and they weird. actually used it as like a good excuse to be able to get together and have fun and do things yeah, like they right. couldn't get in trouble for it. And, you know, I call these people child brains because they do think like children and 
they don't want to get in trouble. That is their primary motivation for all of the things they say and do. They want to get rewarded for their good behavior and they right. want to avoid getting in trouble at all costs. And then the other part of the child brain thing is a little bit sillier, but also totally relevant. You know, when you think about the masks, I compare it to like a children's tea party where, you know, you're there with one of your adult friends and the kids are running around and imagining their little games and, you know, a little girl walks up and gives you a teacup and you're supposed to pretend to drink tea with the tea party and <laughs> you pretend to do it. And then she walks away and you stop doing it. You go back to your adult conversation. She comes back and says, why aren't you drinking your tea? And you're like, oh yeah, sorry, I forgot. But right. it's the idea that the game doesn't work unless everyone's playing. Like we're all supposed to be imagining this thing together. If you're not going to imagine with me, then you're telling me we're not friends. Like it is, it is just mind blowing the level of, of critical thinking and mental processing that is going on among this group of people that I know we both at different times in our lives have had very close relationships with, you yeah. know, and felt a kinship with. You know, I used to believe all of these things. I was a Democrat my entire life. I told you I voted for Hillary in 2016. And I never thought I would be in the position I was in now. And so actually, I had a question written down that I want to ask you, and right. I didn't mean for this to be the lead in, but it's a perfect one. Do you think that you left the left or did the left lead leave you? Uh, you know, honestly, like I. I wish that I had, I mean, I would say the left left me, but, but I, I absolutely have left what they have become. Like I, mm. I can't, I could never be a part of that anymore. Like it's just complete cognitive dissonance to me and they are absolutely insane. And I, I am terrified that they're going to hang on to power. Like I want them to be, it's not that my policy ideas aren't on the left, you know, that I don't care about climate change or anything like that. It's just that. We'll give it time. <laughs> it's just you'll get there <laughs> i mean i so far after all this time like i you know I, I am very much a person of the right at the moment except for my policy ideas are still still right. but um but i feel like i'm terrified that they'll stay in power and all i yeah. want is for them all to be voted out because they have to at the very least this insanity has to get out of government now Deep down, I want to be honest, I don't see the little, the, I don't see this populist movement that Steve Bannon is trying, noble though it is, and it is power to the people and it is a revolution. He understands that it's a fourth turning and he's wow. riding that wave. Like he knows it, he's riding it, he's, he's, he's in his own ways trying to influence, I think. But it terrifies me that it will go the other way, that they will just take absolute power and control and that'll be that, you know. It is uh, terrifying, yeah. So that is it. I mean, I, yeah, the left. And and just one thing on COVID really fast, which is that the thing that has always bo bothered me is the is the sort of the the way that they just aren't skeptical or critical in terms of actual science, right? Like right. know that if you are, let's say you're vaccinated or unvaccinated, COVID's still going to pass the same way. Mm -hmm. Right? If if my mom is with me and I'm not vaccinated, and I, you know, I can give her COVID just as well as if I'm vaccinated. And she never understood that, my mom. Like, she, my, you know, my nephew's mother, and they're, they're very, very close for years and years, really close. And now their friendship is broken because this, her, this woman will, has, is not vaccinated. My mom will not hang out with her because of that.
even though she has no, she has the same chance of getting COVID whether or not this woman is vaccinated, mm-hmm. but she won't hang out with her. Like I find that kind of thing sort of irrational behavior to be very sort of Germany in the 1930s. <laughs> like, well, the whole thing is very Germany in the 1930s. I mean, there is nothing that the movement on the left and I, I usually like to remember to say, especially when I'm talking to someone new, that it's not just the left. I believe that there's a uniparty. I blame Republicans for all of this absolutely as much as I blame Democrats for it, and in many cases more. But, uh, you know, the thing that I would focus on there is you immediately realize it's actually not about the thing they're saying it's about, right? The person on the other side is a person who has already been classified as evil. It's not about getting COVID, right? right? It's about not being around the people you have agreed with the crowd are evil. That's, that's my number one concern on that stuff. But you look at, and not to take us too far in this direction, but you go back and look at Nazi Germany, you look at the stuff like censorship, forced medical experimentation, segregation, and you can go down a list of these things. I mean, there are concentration camps, active ones in the world right now being run by the Chinese Communist Party. Our American Uniparty directly benefits from that slave labor being exploited there. We have a slave trade going on at the southern border right now. All of these elements really are there in very real ways. And when you read some of the old literature from that time, and even from people like Solzhenitsyn, I shared an essay last week called Live Not By Lies, and he specifically mentions biologists and their experiments. We are seeing a direct historical parallel right now, and all of these people will deny all of that while supporting every single element of that parallel, including, by the way, supporting neo-Nazis in Ukraine. And, you know, the uh, I I sort of tried to see it in um, the way of like, for instance, the Nazis, Hitler and the Nazis, they didn't think they were bad people. Sure. Think they were being bad. They thought they were they were making the country better. They thought that everything that they were doing was was in, you know, in the name of um a more pure Germany, whatever they would. But right. but fascism is fascism. And and when people accuse Trump's side of being fascist, I always say, I don't think you understand what fascism means, right? right. Trump, Trump had a million opportunities to be a fascist when he was in power, and he never took the opportunity, not once. And the Democrats, that's all they do is is yes. fascists, you know. Yeah, and promote it. And, you know, the other funny thing is you they people in Hollywood have an image in their minds of what German Nazi propaganda was like back then. And then they separate all of that when thinking about whether or not that could happen in America. It wasn't a bunch of dumb rednecks like these Democrats imagine Republicans to be who were the stars of those Nazi propaganda films. They were people exactly like the stars of our American propaganda films. And these people don't even see a possibility that they might be wrong about all of these things they've never actually thought about. And I am so concerned uh, when this period winds down, as I believe it will in the next two years, they are going to be looked at for the rest of their lives as good Germans. 
That is what they're going to be. They've stood aside while all of this has happened. They've promoted the forced vaccination of children with an experimental gene therapy. It's unbelievable. Just me. talk about that for one minute. Now, I know sure, go. vote and talk Bick, on the left. I am vaccinated. I'm not somebody who isn't. But um, I I can't help but notice things happening to young men like my really young good friend. Yeah. Uh, who was my age, dropped dead of a heart attack just suddenly. Yep. And um, somebody I know who's kind of my age had just had a stroke. And it's like these things are not normal. They're and not and, normal at all. Women's menstrual bring, cycles are being destroyed. Um, yeah. Miscarriages off the charts, cancers, strokes, uh, myocarditis, all of this stuff just skyrocketing. And we know the reason for it. And by the way, I, I mean, Please, by all means, tell me that you don't want to talk about the subject. If you do want to talk about it, tell me how you feel about that decision and what you see that being in a, you know, in a forward looking sense for yourself. Well, I never really thought too much about it. Like it wasn't something that I know because I obviously follow enough of, of Trump world to know that, that this this is a very big subject, um, mm -hmm. uh, especially like on Getter and stuff. It is really you know, it is a very important thing, but it's just, I find it odd that, that they have to fight for bodily autonomy on this side. And then the left is saying that they care about bodily autonomy, which they obviously don't. I mean, it's I think incredible. people have right to their own, what to inject into their bodies. I think, um, what they're doing with the military is horrible, that, that, that is ridiculous. They're about to start kicking kids out of school. And yep. I don't think they should be vaccinating children. I don't think they should be vaccinating teenagers, young people, if you're going to vaccinate anybody, it should be the people 30 and above uh, or 40 and above even, like older people, people at risk. Um, children should not. Be, this thing is not tested. It's no, not it's fully not. tested. And you're not allowed to say it because then you're an anti-vaxxer and then they'll write you off and stuff. But I feel genuinely concerned about the, the young that my daughter took it and these young people are taking it when it's not tested. That That worries me more than anything. I actually... Not to be too TMI. I'm sorry. You can cut this out if it's too TMI. <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm old enough to where I should be ending my my menstrual cycle right now. And uh, when I got that vaccine, it started back up again. And A lot I was of like, women have had that. So that, to me, freaked me out. Like, that was the first time that I thought, oh, shit, there's something yeah. really wrong with this. Why is it doing that? And why isn't anybody talking about it? And that can't be good. And anytime they ask them on uh, Fauci or whatever, they just say, he just dodges. Oh, well, you know, it happens. We don't know. They have no idea what they're doing. And they're injecting this into children. Well, you have to uh, you have to consider how these people think about these sorts of things. Right. When you don't believe in the sovereign individual, when you don't care about people on an individual level, when you don't care about the fact that they're allowed to make choices for themselves, what you tend to do is aggregate people and to someone like Anthony Fauci, if 99.8% of the people don't die or don't get some, you know, severe side effect reaction to the vaccine, then to him, that's very safe and effective. And it doesn't matter how big that 0.2% gets. And I think it's actually much higher than that, but I'm just saying an extreme example. What if that's 100,000 people? What if it's 200,000 people? What if it's a million people? that have these reactions. You know, you told everybody that they were gonna have to take it. Any data on any efficacy is scant and, you know, mixed at best. And the disease we're talking about, this 
preventing people from getting, which it doesn't do, has a, a an infection fatality rate that is comparable to an average flu. And we have completely changed society to combat that. And anyone who is getting injured or potentially being killed by this shot is just considered now by these people a speed bump on the road to progress. Yeah. You got to break a few eggs to make the omelet. Sad. Absolutely. And and it, it I think that he's so in in love with research and uh you know I think this is a chance for him to finish that experiment to experiment oh, yeah. the, what is this what is this virus going to do to people? I don't think he planned on it being released, but I think that um I'm not saying Dr. Fauci released it on the general public. I'm saying that, that You could if you wanted. But if he knew what it was and and they were covering that up, I remember the first time I heard him say it was so weird. It was so surreal because like you, I had been following it from the very beginning. And I remember how they called Trump a racist when he said he wanted to close the. Board. <laughs> yeah. What? And then they never took responsibility for that. No, they don't. And, you know, and then to have it hitting the black communities worse than everybody else. And then to have that those very communities out protesting in those very neighborhoods it just well, struck me as very, very strange, um, you know, but but to, to when he first came out and he said, if we do everything right, 200,000 people will die. And that was the first time I thought, what? Yeah. <laughs> How does he know that? Well, he must know because he knows, you know, he knows this virus. Well, yeah, I mean, potentially. And, you know, the other problem you mentioned the black community uh you know if you're designing one of these viral pathogens then that's definitely part of it you, they can target specific genetics with it and then it also struck me as odd that they wanted to reserve the vaccine at the time of its release for the elderly and for minority communities like mm -hmm. you're putting out an experimental medication and I telling black people to go first and yeah. you're the racists like oh that was that was never talked about you're not allowed to and and, and right. here's one weird thing let me just this I've, this detail has always bothered me and it's something that of course because we don't have journalists anymore um i, I watched the uh, derek chauvin trial for george mm -hmm. floyd you know whatever that was a terrible case and it was a horrible thing but it was it was wrong of them to pressure i thought the jury um outside but when they showed the video of Cup Foods when he first went in there, nobody was wearing a mask. <laughs> this was a predominantly black neighborhood in a blue state. And this yeah. was May. This was Memorial Day. And I thought, why is that? And I realized because they're not in the bubble. Yeah. No, they're not hunched over Twitter. They're not watching MSNBC. You the know, COVID and protocol is very much an elite concern. Yeah. And yeah. the only other people who go along with it are people who are in essentially the, uh, you know, service industries, you know, people who work as cashiers, people right. who have minimum wage jobs. These are people who you will see masks on in the grocery store, even even in Texas, by the way, where I am, where you do not have to wear masks anywhere for any reason, except in medical facilities. <laughs> um <laughs> Certain uh, certain social classes will be the only people essentially in masks. They are a signal. And it is so strange that it still continues. 
Um, but you know, you, you were just talking about what you're allowed to say and tell me about the censorship that you've experienced, whether it's online or in person or both. Um, I want to hear about that. Like, how has that been, especially in Los Angeles? Oh God, are you kidding? Like for instance, the, the movie industry, you know, is, has, is all but destroyed. Like there's, I, mean, I should probably shouldn't say that, <laughs> but it no, is. I mean, it's it, true. Um, it's going to be destroyed yeah. even worse, but yeah, go ahead. No, it's, it, it's, it's really bad. And, and, um, you know, I've been covering it for, for over 20 years. So I've, I've seen, you know, I, I've seen the, the era of great movies and great writing. And now it's become this, it is very like Soviet, the Soviet union in yep. terms of everything has to back up the state. Everything has to affirm the ideology. You can't break the rules. You have to follow all these rules. And I, I see that, like I have this, um, Apple watch, which is, uh, has a fitness thing on it. And I go on there and I look at like yoga or whatever, and and they do it in sign language. <laughs> I'm like, like I, I don't mind that like what? there's the sign language. Well, they they talk well, they talk to you to explain the video they're doing it. And the thing that bothers me about it is not that they're doing sign language. It's it's that they're doing it because it's performative. That's the thing that bugs me. Is like they're they're only doing it to look good. You know, people who who can't hear have modifications on their phones and stuff and can use closed caption to, to hear what people are saying, but they do yeah. it. to, And so that's really defined all of Hollywood, but see, I own my own business, so I'm not really um, somebody who the, anybody can really boss around. The only, the only vulnerability I have is that I survive on advertising from movie studios and a bunch of people have tried to get um, that destroyed for me yeah and and um i had this little movie on netflix that was about my my childhood which is uh called the summer of the shark if you want to see it it's on netflix um it's like a little short movie about seeing jaws when i was 10 years old in 1975 and um and when that was a when that was about to come out all these weird little trolls from twitter gathered up all this stuff and tried to send it to netflix to try to get them to to distance themselves from me and the project and it was so scary like to have that. And even now, like my Twitter's locked down, but people follow me. They watch what I say. They send it out. You know, I've been, I've been harassed on Twitter so many times, even before 2020, you know, mm -hmm. just outspoken person. But, but this latest thing that I'm doing, which is, you know, defending the Trump supporters and talking about them in a humanist way, I can, yep. I, I think that's what I'm doing um, is, is really committing a mortal sin. <laughs> yeah. Well, well I, I haven't, you know, you're going to be on the right side of things. So I'm not worried about that at all. Um, but you haven't been, have you been formally censored by any of the sites like Instagram, Twitter and stuff? Do they put warning labels on your content uh, or anything? Cause I've been banned by everything. Oh, you have, well, you must've oh, yeah. talked about the vaccine. The vaccine will get you banned. Oh, I got banned in 2020 just for talking about election fraud coming up and talking about just obvious COVID stuff that I was backing up with data in the posts. I've I've experienced censorship on every single level. I had my podcast censored from Spotify just this March for talking about Ukrainian biolabs. So no, they will. They have certain things that they target. I, I, I'm very careful in terms of what I say publicly. Like, uh, um, oh, when I know so, that they, when I know they have one of those things, I go right at those things. No, I know. And I really admire that. I love that. That's why I have, <laughs> I think it's have fun. <laughs> I got to go on getter. I got to be places where there's freedom, you know, you got to get freedom. on truth social too. And telegram. I'm on truth. 
I'm on Truth Social, but like you said at the very beginning, that I'm not the, <laughs> I'm not the male Sasha Stone. There's a, a Sasha Stone with a C. Yes. Who people confuse if you do like a Google image search, like a lot. I don't know if it's still happening, but in the old days, like me and him would come up, and people couldn't tell the difference. And so I kept getting all these emails from him, uh, meant for him, like way before my mind started to change. And it's just weird how we've both be like I've become more like <laughs> like him. So yeah. like nobody'll know that we're different. And you know, we even kind of look alike. Like we have long brown hair. <laughs> That's Green fine. Eyes. That's really weird. <laughs> He's an old rock star, I guess, from from the old right, days. Right. Yeah. Uh, so. Um anyway, so so you've been able to avoid the hammer of the censorship, huh? I have because I I have two Twitters. One is my blue check that I used to use for my Democrat stuff. But in 2020, I started to spiral and I got screamed at by Nira Tandon. All these people got oh, mad at no. me. And I got this like, what happened to you? And all these these angry people. Uh, I was friends if with- If I got so screamed at by Nira Tandon, I would frame it and put it on the wall. I know, I still have the DMs. But, yeah. uh, so I- because of my business that I run, I, I kind of I deleted all my tweets and I took my Twitter underground. And so I never really got into the kind of trouble um, that was the worst that ever happened to me was I was trying to complain about harassment. They were calling me a white supremacist on Twitter. Isn't that incredible? And all I was doing was pointing out the fact that the Asian hate crimes weren't necessarily only committed by white people. And <laughs> that got me called the white supremacists. And so I complained and I said, they're calling me this. This is a, a bad thing to say. And they, they said, no, that doesn't count as, as hate right, speech. Right, right. So that's really. And then Substack, you know, they're not going to punish you for anything. So I can say whatever I want on there. So far. Yeah, that's been really nice. Substack is a uh, godsend for sure. Yeah, and Rumble, you know, is is great. Yep. I don't do. It, I mean, I'm not on there, but I probably. I, I thought about locals for a little while, you know. Um, I just don't want to belong to any site that I think is going to start doing that policing people. Because you know what, I can I can go on there and read on Getter. I can read anything people say, right. anything Nancy Wolf says, or anything that that you know is con or Laura Logan, anything that's considered verboten. I can read it and I can say, okay, yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I don't, you know. Yeah. But it's my. I don't want exactly. them to. And have you noticed that when you do like Google search? Oh, you, of course you've noticed this. But well, Google I don't search, use Google, but yeah. Or YouTube, like they totally micromanage your search results. Yeah. Yes, death, and, and it's so frustrating. Yeah, that should be something that would clue people on the left into the fact that they are getting a curated information stream, and that they are being limited in the ideas they can even think about by a corporation that has needs that have nothing to do with them. And all of this is premised on the idea that we might have another very violent insurrection that might overthrow <sighs> our democracy. That's no. madness, right? That, that is, is the only motivation. That is the excuse for why we're not allowed to talk about anything, or we might kill somebody's grandmother indirectly. And it's so scary to see like headlines like People Magazine saying the violent insurrection without any kind of, first of all, it's not been proved yet. They haven't been convicted of that. So they can't really say that that's what it was, especially after what happened in 2020 and what the Democrats mm -hmm. have done. For years, they, they were violent protests. They bombed the Capitol in the 70s. Um, 
Yeah. So yeah, and January that, and, and that woman who was involved with that is on the board of the fiscal sponsor of Black Lives Matter. Her name's Susan Rosenberg. Yeah. Bill Clinton pardoned her on his last day in office. Right. They're 100% down with all of that, except when they, you know what it is, is they cannot handle the fact that for the first time in what, 100 years, is it, that the right has a grassroots movement. And that's Steve Bannon's doing. He's he's helped to, to usher that in with the Tea Party and, and building a populist movement on the right. Um, and they can't handle it because they were always the grassroots. And now they right. don't have any grassroots movement at all. None. They don't have any voters m- much these days either. And that's that's what we should be very happy about as we yeah, get closer they, to these elections. But but they have all the money and they have all the well, corporations. Yes. Yep. But all of that stuff is is losing its hold on culture and how things are are done right now, I think. I mean, I think that we are on the verge of an American renaissance. I'm incredibly optimistic about what this movement is becoming and how many people it's reaching, particularly people who, you know, or are ostensibly on the left, like I was and like you were, or in, you know, to some extent are, I'm not trying to speak for where you are on that spectrum. Um, but I see it only moving in that direction. And so we, I think, disagree to some extent about what happened in the 2020 election. And so give me give me where you are on that, if you are All right, talking about really it. let me quickly say something that I didn't say early on that I think is important. Sure. I, I don't know who's listening to this or whether it matters or not, but the reason that it's so hard for people to come out of the left that I found out, I, I have these ongoing debates with people who really feel like they don't want to let me go because they just mm-hmm. keep wanting lives and they still want... And they don't want to let me go. They don't want me to go to the dark side. And so they're, I'm on these struggle sessions with them constantly. It's the same Oof. argument over and over. And I always, and they're always parroting like Rachel Maddow or whatever. They're always parroting the New always. York Times. Yep. And I have to explain to them. And when I do, I understand that they think that I'm crazy when I say this. But mm-hmm. what happened in 2020, once I saw that they were dehumanizing the Trump supporters and I took the time to get to know them, the, the way that I did it, was I cut off all of my news from the left, all of it. I stopped watching CNN. I stopped watching NBC. I stopped reading my Twitter. I stopped reading my Facebook. And I only looked at news on the right. I only watched Tucker Carlson. I only listened to Ben Shapiro. I only did. I know we'll talk about Ben Shapiro. (laughs) (laughs) But but I and I only read Twitter on the right because these are people that I've been conditioned to hate with a passion. And so I just I kept following them and listening to and I watched every single one of Trump's rallies to date. I've seen every single one of his rallies since 2020 that he's had every single one. So I know exactly what he said. He mostly says the same thing every time when he does. Yeah, them. more or less. Yeah. And, and they're just kind of funny. Like he does a funny bit. He does yeah. funny bits. People don't know that about him. But anyway, um, I, you know, I felt empathy for him. I felt empathy for his supporters. I cannot stand how our government's treating them. But what I say to people is you have to crawl out of the bubble and it's yeah. really hard to do. And you can't do it if you're still watching MSNBC because there's something about us as human beings that we want to be a part of something. We want to have a, agreement and camaraderie with our with our fellow man. And so if Rachel Maddow's upset about something, then you feel upset about it, you know. Um, and or they know you, they'll get in trouble. Yeah. You know? 
Because think about those, like if you take two of the people that you'll talk to and have these conversations with, if the two of them were to speak to each other, they would normally be just fine. They're both going to repeat the things Rachel Maddow says. They'll agree about it generally. They'll say, yeah, we don't want to talk about politics. And they'll move on, assuming that they agree about everything. If one of them one day says something that disagrees with a key aspect of what Rachel Maddow just said last night, that person's going to get in trouble. And right. they, they've they had that experience over and over again over again, they know that all the incentives are just to stay in the position they're in. Don't make a big deal about anything. Tell people, you you know, you're not really that into politics. When people tell me they're not really that into politics at this period, I'm like, okay, well, what part of your life are you into? Like, are you into your country surviving? Are you into your family surviving? Are you into being run by people who believe that the end of the nuclear family is a good and worthwhile goal? Like what are you focused on in your life? Is it just Cardi B and selfies and like new shoes? What is it? I mean, I think that is it. I think that the, that they've found the left has, I told my friend this, the left has been the counterculture left broke free from religion, from Christianity back in the fifties into the sixties and seventies. And they were on a pursuit of truth. They were, they were trying to, find out truth in science, get, you know, religion out of schools. They were trying to find truth in art, truth in sex, you know, the sexual revolution. All of that stuff was happening in that era because they were trying to break free and find a more uh, truthful way of living. Um, but now they've been captured by a religion. And have you known, I mean, it's just, it's so crazy. Every day you hear some, now granted, the stuff I hear, I tend to hear through the filter of people on the right. And, and that mm. is the same where they're they are trying to just show you the worst of people on the left but i i know this world because i live it every day i know what the ideology is right they have such they have where they used to be people who asked questions mm -hmm. now they're people who don't ask questions that have all the answers they have certainty just like you would if you were in like a fundamentalist religious movement you know right. it's the same kind of thing so okay the 2020 election so where are you on i'll tell you where i'm on it oh i mean i can get there in various ways but the idea that joe biden actually received 81 million real legal american votes is among the most impossible things that i have ever heard in my life like right. the, like i don't think that there is any question that that election was stolen and it's not like around the margins it's tens of millions of votes well it it i mean i'm I'm about to write a, a thing about the election like i've been i've been dancing around it because I, I really i have told people forever that and this is a thing that they get mad at me about which is that that was not it was not an ethical, legitimate election in any way. They broke all the rules and everybody just went along with it because they thought they were stopping Hitler. Right. And so they felt like, what what shouldn't we do? I mean, from everything from people voting twice, like their mindset was, we're going to do everything we can. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason I don't say anything illegal or fraud, I don't say that publicly because I, the things that happen to you will happen to me. And so I would never, I could never say that publicly. I have to, I have to couch it with, well, you, you know, could. Well, I know, but I would lose my <laughs> livelihood. But the thing is, is and, and people think that they already accuse me of it anyway, but I don't even think you have to do that to say what, you know, you, you can see sure. things that were reported on, like the fact that they not only changed the voting rules, which they said was because of COVID, but 
but that they loosened the restrictions on the ballots. Like that was really the thing that, um, and I, this was all happening to me before January, not to me, but this was all, I was noticing all this before January 6th, sure. before the Stop the Steal protest, you know? And I, I knew it and I understood why Trump was upset and why he was fighting back. I mean, after the way they treated him for four years and then to, to watch that election mm-hmm. where these people took power that they did not have a right to take and nobody's going to stop them. Like that, um, yeah, I think that if if they make that kind of those uh, elements that they had in the 2020 election, if they make that federal law, then then there's that's it. You know, the game is over. I'm glad you said that, because one of their first priorities when they installed the fake president was to bring up H.R. one and basically federalize all of the election processes and standardize them throughout all the states and implement every one of the worst policies that they had already used in 2020. They were overtly trying to make all of these things legal everywhere. It was, you know, to me, one of the most blatant admissions of what they had already done. And, you know, Wisconsin has now, uh, the Supreme Court in Wisconsin ruled that the uh, drop boxes were illegal in 2020. That's hundreds of thousands of votes. Pennsylvania's Supreme Court, or at least, uh, was it an appeals court? It might still be in appeals right now. But they ruled that Act 77 in Pennsylvania that rewrote their election laws. That was illegal. Mm -hmm. Like, these are multiple major problems in what we consider to be swing states. I am of the mind that all of this stuff is actually going to be exposed and it's all going to come out in full. And so I don't worry too much about that part. For me, this is all about uh, raising public awareness so that at the point where all of this stuff does become widely publicly known and accepted, we're not going to end up in a civil war. And I think that that's why Trump walked away when he did. He certainly didn't have to. I mean, they have plenty of the evidence of the election theft. He could have instituted measures to remain in power, but the media would have called him a violent dictator. They would have said it was a coup. They would have used their insurrection narrative a hundred times over, and we would probably have a society in ruins right now. So, well, you know, this the, period is a lead in to the fix on that. And Go the ahead. only way there's going to be a fix is if, if the Republicans take Congress, if they don't, then, you know, yeah. I hear my, uh, I, I looked at a poll today and they, they had like the Republicans, I think they divided it between Republicans and Democrats and the Democrats' biggest fear, uh, the Republicans and in, no, everybody's biggest fear, the whole, everybody in, that was polled, it's inflation number one. And then they did the Democrats and it was the number one thing was uh, Republicans destroying democracy itself. <laughs> That's amazing. That number one <laughs> concern. That's how. And my friend said it to me too on the phone. Like she's like, "That's the thing I'm worried about. That they're that we're not even going to have. But like they are so scared." What does that even that. mean to them? They well, couldn't that, even I, explain the content of that thought. No, and I said to her, I said, "Look, I mean, it, you know, they what they're doing." And I was trying to explain it, but she couldn't hear it because to her, any sort of rules on voting is voter suppression, is segregation, is Jim Crow. And I said, you know, they're trying to do this stuff not in, not necessarily in, you know, black neighborhoods and black states. It's more like 
you know, places like Arizona and Wisconsin and stuff like that. And and a lot of these judges, they were just pressured by a growing mob outside. Those Lincoln, um, the Lincoln Project guys, they oh were threatening um, judges and, yeah. and anybody who would work on these cases. They were threatening to dox them, mm-hmm. you know. All that intimidation, like that's just wrong. Like if you're if you have the law on your side and you think you're right, then why do you have to intimidate people right. when they're trying to take this to court? What are you afraid of? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, um, it's it's been uh it's been a brutal process to watch. Um, I don't think that we necessarily need to have Republicans back in power to actually fix the election stuff. I think that, that a lot of that is happening from the ground up and there is going to come a point where the frustration level with Biden has opened enough minds up to what actually happened in 2020. And there will come a point where the evidence is so, I believe the evidence is absolutely overwhelming. Like they always say baseless claims, there's no evidence. The evidence for election fraud in 2020, decisive, overwhelming, massive, widespread election fraud. It's everywhere as soon as you begin looking. And a lot of people just will not look. They believe the television that Joe Biden won. They say it was the safest and most secure election of all time. That makes absolutely no sense. And then they say, well, Bill Barr said he didn't see any evidence. Okay, that doesn't mean anything. And then they say that the courts sided with, you know, against Trump. And that's also not true. The courts didn't even look at the evidence. Like all of their all of their arguments that the election was legitimate fail in a matter of seconds and they don't even understand why that thing is going to have to end. And that's going to end with information. I mean, I can't imagine what it is like in Los Angeles. And actually, I know you're kind of running out of time. Tell me what life in LA is like. What is the city like right now? You know, apart from just your conversations with people who you talk about politics, like what is life like there? Well, um, uh, yeah, I mean, just one last thing on the election. Go, just to yeah. finish this up, say that that if you are a, like right now with the meddling in the um, GOP primaries, if you have to cheat to win, you have right. weak candidates and yeah. you don't have faith in your candidates. If Joe Biden was such a strong um, candidate and he he won so many votes, why did they have to go through all of that just right. to, to drag him over the finish line and have Trump still threatening him by the end as strongly as he did? Why did they have to go through all that? If he was such a great leader, he just would have flat out won in a landslide. That didn't right. happen. Right. You know, they so, stopped the counting in the middle of the night and everybody woke up to different results. Right. Because they had all those bags of ballots that they had collected. <laughs> yep. There we go. But um, all right. So L.A. Well, you know, I live in Burbank, so I don't really spend a lot of time in L.A. L.A. proper. I, I only do when I have to go to um to screenings and stuff like that. I'm about to go to the Telluride Film Festival at the end of this month. So that's when I hang around all my Hollywood people. Um, you know, they're still they're still wearing masks. Oh, they're God. still no, a lot of people are still wearing masks. I'm always so happy when I see I go into a market and stuff and people aren't. I'm always like, wow, this is so great. Wow. And it's really like that. Like you're spotting the one person who's not wearing one kind of thing. Maybe like I'd say I went into Trader Joe's the other day and it was maybe a quarter of the people weren't wearing masks. But I just I can't. I mean, I will if I have to. But uh, but it's against science to wear them. (laughs) Yeah, it really is against science. (laughs) Also against just normal humanity. Yeah, 
I mean, I the the sort of ethos of the left, I would love to be able to to evacuate and leave L.A. I'd love to go to Texas. I don't know where in Texas you are, but I'd, I'd love to move there. But uh, but my business is here, so I don't see how I could ever do that. Um, but but I don't feel I don't feel the same level of hostility uh, in on the streets among my neighbors that I see when I walk every day. You know, I meet people who have such varying points of view and who are really open-minded and very, you know, it's just online, the sort of hive mind online and, and the Rachel Maddow and all that. Like I, I imagine it's pretty bad in Santa Monica. Like I wouldn't want to live there. It's got to be like That's a hell hole. but it's okay. I mean, it's fine. You know, I probably would like to leave if I ever can. I certainly will. There you go. Um, to the audience, you should check out Sasha's show. She is like a, uh, on her way to being MAGA version (laughs) of NPR. Like if you have someone in your life that cannot deal with my energy. She is a wonderful alternative for someone who's like on the edge and ready to start thinking with their own mind. She is a very, very good option. So I all, I uh, recommend you all check her show out. Oh, thank you. That's so sweet. <laughs> well, it's true. I tried sending it to my parents. They, it didn't work on them. Um, oh, no. It's fine. It's fine. they're gonna get dragged kicking and screaming one way or another so (laughs) no i know someday maybe yeah well sasha it's been great to talk to you i hope that we will continue this in the future yeah it was fun thanks so much it was really a pleasure and and i'd love to hear you talk i'm going to try to find your show so i can listen to it i'll send it over yeah that sounds good all right all right be well keep doing what you're doing you too all right bye 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 
And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon, down on the range. It's hell!